Well, that was a good little meal, wasn't it? <laughs> that was tremendous. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Uh, I don't know whether I like to preach to people before they eat or after they eat. If you preach to them before they eat, they look at you like you're a pork chop. <laughs> but uh, if you preach to them after they eat, everybody wants to sleep. So don't go to sleep on me, amen? Stay awake. We'd hate for you to sleep, fall asleep and fall out of the pew and hurt yourself, amen? I heard about uh, this man that uh, went to the doctor because uh, his wife had insisted on him going to the doctor and seeing about his snoring. When he slept, he snored. Now, uh, I don't know if you snore or not. Any of you snore when you sleep? Now, how would you know you're asleep, right? And he went to the doctor and he said to the doctor, Doctor, my wife has insisted on me coming to see you about snoring. Oh, he said, uh, when you snore, do you keep her awake? And he said, her? I keep the whole church awake. Snoring in church. I heard about this uh, man who was always sleeping in church. And uh, when he was asleep, he would <coughs> snort a little bit, you know. And the whole church got used to it and it didn't bother him. Old grandpa. But there was a guest preacher coming. And they got together and they got a little boy. And they said, now if you'll keep grandpa awake... While the church is going on, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you 50 cents. And so, you, you know, you have to kick him or gouge him or whatever you have to do, keep him awake. Because he'll go to sleep and snort while he's sleeping and it'll bother the guest preacher. So the little boy sat down beside Grandpa and Grandpa fell asleep at the first couple words of the sermon. And he slept and snorted all through the whole service. And after it was over with, they went to the little boy and said, we gave you 50 cents to keep Grandpa awake while the preacher was preaching. Why didn't you do it? He said, because Grandpa gave me a dollar to let him sleep. <laughs> there was a guy always sleeping in church and, and his, uh, his wife was embarrassed about it and the preacher said, uh, or the... the uh, the preacher told the lady, said, Now I know that you're embarrassed about your husband sleeping. And said, I'll tell you what you do. When you come to church next Sunday, bring your asphidity bag. Any of you know what that is, asphidity? It was a it was a substance that they would put in a bag and tie it around your neck uh, when you had the influenza or cold. It was supposed to open up your sinuses and it smelled real bad. I mean, it really smelled bad. And so uh, she brought the little bag in her purse, and sure enough, her husband went sound asleep. And she just took that little bag and tied it around his neck up close to his nose. He was sitting there asleep. Pretty soon he said, Nell, oh Nell, get your feet off my pillow.
I've got to tell you a few jokes to kind of wake you up. You know what I mean? After all that good food. I mean, we really had some food there, didn't we, huh? And that was delicious. I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And if you do not have access to a Bible, I, I think there are some in the pews. Is there not? I'd like for everybody to see this tonight, if we could. It's a very, it's a very well-known portion of Scripture. And a story that we often refer to, but very seldom really preach about. But it's a very, very important portion of Scripture. The Bible says in John chapter 3, have you got John? That's in the uh, New Testament, of course. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 3. That was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. Now this man, Nicodemus, was a very important man. He was a Pharisee for one thing. That was like, like being a special lawyer. They were those that prided themselves in the study of the law of Moses. And uh, they were like lawyers. They worked on the law. They studied the law. They, they were supposed to interpret the law. Something like a Supreme Court justice. And this uh, very important man, Nicodemus, was a ruler of the Jews. Not that he was just a Jew, but he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a very important man, probably very rich. At least richer than the average person in Jerusalem in those days. His name was Nicodemus. And this man, Nicodemus, who... Uh, the Bible says here, uh, came in verse 2, then came to, the, the same came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by night. A lot of people have said that he was ashamed to come to him in the daytime. I don't think so. Because later on we find Nicodemus involved some things of the Lord. I think it was so important to him, and he was probably an extremely busy man, it was so important to him, he didn't want to wait till morning. He came to Jesus by night. Have you ever had anything in your life that would uh, come up maybe while you were sleeping or come up during the night and you just could not wait till morning to take care of that thing? I, I know that uh, there's been occasions in my life when someone would call me on the phone. We're late at night. I'm getting some calls now when I'm sleeping from Pakistan. And they'll say, good morning, Dr. Clayton. Well, it's good morning over there, but it's nighttime over here. And I'll say to them, it's not good morning here. But it's, uh, sometimes it's important that you, you settle some things, you get some things straight before morning comes. I might just say this in passing, if in your life you have a, a problem with someone, maybe, uh, maybe you have a, a grief or maybe you have a complaint or someone uh, maybe has a complaint with you, probably you ought to settle that before you go to bed. And especially husbands and wives should not go to sleep with a grief or a complaint or an anger on their hearts. Get it settled before you go to bed. Even though we have to sit up all night to get it settled. 
<laughs> get it settled before you go to bed. But here he came to Jesus by night. It was nighttime when he approached, approached the Lord. And said unto him, Rabbi. You see that? Christ was considered a great teacher by everyone. And they called him Rabbi. He was often went by that title. In fact, the matter is, he astounded all the theologians in Jerusalem when he was just a young man. And uh, they, they got a lot of respect of those that knew the law in his day. And he was, he was called a rabbi. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now this Nicodemus already accepts the Lord for whom he he claims to be. He said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. We We know that the average man could never do this. Even the greatest of rabbis could never do what you've done. We know that you've come from God because of the miracles that you've done. You know, if we didn't have any other reason to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was how he claimed to be, other than the miracles ought to prove to us something. Amen? Jesus was a miracle worker. Uh, that thou doest, except God be with him. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus just starts right in and gives him the first part of a major lesson that uh, I might say has been wrangled around for centuries by those who are trying to find life after death. But it isn't true, is it not true that the most important thing that religion could promise somebody, any religion, would be life after death. I mean, they all, all religions make an attempt to give their adherents a promise or an assurance that when a man dies, he won't die like a dog, but that he will spend an eternity in some kind of bliss. And I could go down through the religions and tell you all of them, but they all do. They all, every one of them do. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about how to get to heaven and how to have eternal bliss and how to have life after death. There are a lot of people believe that when you die, you go up and stand before God's judgment bar. And that up in heaven somewhere is a great big scales. <clears throat> a balancing scale. <clears throat> you ever see a balancing scale? In a lot of countries, they still sell goods by balancing scales. They have a scale that balances, and on one side, they'll put a pound weight. And then they'll start putting the, the article, the stuff that you're buying on the other side, and when it levels out and stays there, you've got a pound of those goods, so, so to speak. Well, um, been a lot of crooked things go along with scales like that. They would, uh, the, the pound weight would not really be a pound, so you wouldn't be getting a whole pound. Cheating, you know. They said the most expensive cut of meat in the butcher's shop is his thumb. 
on the scale, right? But most, most people, I mean, multitudes of people believe that whenever you get, when you die, you go up before God, and God's got this big balancing scale. And if the good works, which are put on one side, is more than the bad works on the other side, then you'll go to heaven. But if the bad works are more than the good works on the other side, then you'll go to hell. That is the basis of almost all religions in the world. Well, if there's anything that's not true, it's that. Because there's none of us, no matter who we are, good enough or have done enough good things to get us to heaven. A lot of people believe that, though. You know what the Bible says in Psalms chapter 1? The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. So we cannot come up before God and say, God, you owe me heaven because I've got more good works than bad works. Yeah, but how about the bad works? You know, heaven, I mean, there's no thieves in heaven. If there was, somebody would try to steal the golden gates or the pearly gates and the street of gold. Uh, There's no sinners in heaven or it wouldn't be heaven. So something's got to happen to any one of us in order for us to go to heaven. Something has to happen. And that's what Jesus is approaching here, this Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, who no doubt was a very intelligent man, no doubt a very rich man, probably a very good man. There's nothing said in the Bible against him. I mean, uh, you know, a very good man, no doubt, to be in the position that he was in, very well respected and such. Jesus said to him, you've got to be born again. Have you ever heard that term before? Born again? You know that uh, there's a lot of ideas about being born again. But uh, I'll tell you this much. Being born again carries with it a changed life. It really does. One time I was preaching in Buffalo, New York. And the number one baby psychiatrist in the world. An Orthodox Jew came to hear me preach. And uh, he sat there and listened. He took notes. He had a clipboard. He knew more about babies than anybody, I guess, had ever lived. And he had written a bestseller on baby psychology. Not child psychology, but baby psychiatry. Psychology. And the reason why he came, he told me after the service, the reason why I've come to hear you preach is because of that thing, born again. He said, I have studied babies. And he said, any baby that is, loses its parent, or both parents, either one, when it's a baby, when it's just after the child gets to know its parents and loses it, he said, that child, is, uh, that person, is injured psychologically for the rest of their lives. 
He said they don't make good parents. They don't make good mates. They usually, most of them are terribly in debt. And he went on through, and he made a study of this, and he said, I, I tried to figure out a way to uh, uh, psychoanalyze and to help these people so as to get them over this problem of having lost their parent when they was a child. And he said, I tried everything. He said, I tried hypnotism. He said, I hired the greatest hypnotist in the world. He said, I, I've tried all kinds of psychology. He said, I, I've tried all kinds of uh, various uh, 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 things, said, even religions, trying to find. And he said, the only people that I've ever seen that overcome this are people that are born again. So he said, I wanted to come and hear you preach to see what born again meant. I said, well, after service, if you'd like, I said, we'll go out and have a cup of coffee together, and I think I can answer your questions. So we went out to a restaurant, Howard Johnson. Remember when they had Howard Johnson restaurants? We went to that Howard Johnson restaurant, and we sat there and talked all night long until the sun was coming up the next day. And I gave him all the stories and everything else that I could think of to show him what born again was. And when the sun came up, he bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior because he understood what born again was. Now, I can't get into all of it with you tonight, but I want to talk to you about this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Well, now, here comes a question in verse 4 from Nicodemus, and I think it's an honest question. He said, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now somebody would say that water is baptism, and the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Well, the water is not baptism. It's the natural birth of a child uh, when the mother's water breaks. The baby is encased in water and is born that way. And the next verse amplifies that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what he was talking about, water. He said, you have a natural birth, you have a physical birth, but then he says this, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, in verse 7, Marvel not, I said unto thee, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now what do you have to do is you, we're born physically in this life, are we not? Every one of us have had a mother and a father. We may have not lived with them or whatever, but we've had them because you cannot get into this world without a father and mother. And uh, we're born physically into this world. Now, I was born on September the 26th. I tell you that so you can send me a great big birthday present. In, uh, in a farmhouse on the Maplewood to Wawa Road in Ohio. I was born at home because I wanted to be near my mother. All right, that's what the guy said. And uh, when I was born, I was automatically a Clayton. 
But that didn't mean that I was born again. I got born again in a little church not far from where I was born, in a little place called Quincy, Ohio. I went to church one night and I heard a preacher preach the gospel. And it was really the first time I had really, really understood it. And I came forward and knelt at the altar and I asked Jesus Christ to become my Savior and Lord. Very simple. I mean, I didn't have to have a theology degree. I didn't have to have a lot of the background that other people have had. I just came simply as a farm boy with farm clothes on and knelt at the altar and trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I was born again. Now, there's a lot of people, as I've said, believe that the balance scale deal. There's a lot of other people believe that you get saved because of a little bit of water on top of your head. Baptism, they call it. Which is really not baptism. We went out here to eat the other night, or my wife and I did the other day, just get a little a little something. We went to this restaurant, this girl that we don't was a Greek, and I, I asked her about the word baptizo. And she said, that's where we get the word baptism from. And she said, well, baptizo means to plunge down under the water, to baptize. And she said, uh, our Greek Orthodox Church, even when we baptize a baby, we put the baby completely under the water because that's what baptism is. Baptism is not a little bit of water on your head or a little commissioning and all that. No, no. And really, all the churches that do that to babies, they really don't believe that saves them anyhow. They still believe they're saved by good works. But, uh, you know, Jesus said, what do you have to be to be saved, to be born again? You have to be born of the Spirit of God. You have to have the Spirit of God come into you. And that Spirit of God comes into you whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you do that, then you are adopted into God's family. And you become one of the members of God's family. Now, uh, there's nothing wrong with adoption, amen? When I was a boy, I have a brother that's just older than me, Bob, five years older than me. For five years, he was the baby of the family. And then I came along, <laughs> and I took his place. And he never really forgave me for that. He used to tease me a lot. And one day he said to me, You know, Larry, you're not really a Clayton. You're just adopted. <gasps> I'm adopted? He said, Yes, you're not a Clayton. You're just adopted. I thought that was terrible. He said, Mom and Dad were driving down a country road and they found you in a gunny sack in a ditch. And they, <laughs> you know how Mom is? She takes in all strays and all people and that mom saw you and she picked you up and brought you home and they called you a Clayton and took care of you but you're really not a Clayton. Oh, that bothered me so much. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, Bob said that I wasn't a Clayton, I've just adopted. My dad said, now don't let Bob bother you. He said, I was right there the day you was born when the doctor uh, helped mom give birth to you in the downstairs bed bedroom in the Bradigan farm. He said, you're a Clayton. I was there. I know you. 
You're my son. So you know what I did? I went back to Bob and I said, Bob, Dad said that that wasn't that you're a liar. Of course, Dad didn't say that, but that's what I called him. You know, I took Dad's word for it. Now I take God's word for the promise of being born again. Let me show you how you get born again. Okay, look if you would to the to the book of Galatians. It's over there in the. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Galatians, and Galatians, a marvelous book. Uh, but look at verse uh, 26 of chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Paul was speaking to the church of Galatia, the born again people there. And this is what he says For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. You're all the children of God. You're born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. You must have faith in Jesus Christ in order to be born again. You believe that Jesus Christ is what he claimed to be and what the Bible says about him. Now look at the book of Romans chapter 9. I want us to look at verse... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 10. I want us to look at verse number 9. This is what you have to do to be born into God's family. That if thou shalt confess, you see that word confess? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Do you believe? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you believe in Jesus? You have to to be born again and be saved, born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. And what you have to confess and believe is just our holidays. For instance, you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin like we celebrated Christmas time? If you do, then you're one step toward being born again. Do you believe that he died upon the cross like we celebrated Good Friday. You remember Good Friday? When we talk about the cross of Christ and Jesus dying. Do you believe, do you believe that, uh, that uh, Jesus rose again like we celebrated Easter Sunday when we sang up from the grave he arose? Now if you believe these things and confess them, that's the first step. Confession is the first step to God. And thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You have to confess and believe. Now, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. Saved from your sins. Saved from the condemnation of your sins. Saved from hell to go to heaven. Verse 13 then gives us the last step. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just three things. Confess, believe, and call. 
God has made it so simple that anybody can understand it. Amen? I mean, uh, I know some Down syndrome people that know they're saved. They, they can't read. They can't write. But they heard the message and they believe it and they know they're saved. One little girl in, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania many years ago, I'm sure she's in heaven now, she used to love to come and hear me preach. When, she, when I would preach, she would sit right on the very front row listen to me preach. A, a young man in Cleveland, Ohio, his name was Larry, like mine. And uh, I don't, I'm sure Julia remember him. But he, his name's Larry, and uh, he sits in church, and when I go there to preach because my name is the same as his, he loves me, you know. And uh, he'll stand up while I'm preaching and say, hey, listen to him. You better hear what he's got to say. He's my, he's my, uh, my cheerleader in the church. <laughs> They're all used to him, so don't bother anybody. But he knows he's saved. Why? Because he's taken these three steps. And by taking these three steps, he's come to God in repentance and in faith and trusting the Lord as Savior. And that's what the Bible says is being born again. You're born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. And then you become part of God's family. I've heard a lot of people, and a lot of people will say, everybody is going to go to heaven. Well, that's not true. And then a lot of people say, well, you know, everybody... Uh, God isn't going to send anybody to hell because He's just so good. He won't do it. Let me tell you something. That's a wrong philosophy. But the way you do get saved, the way you get born again, is by faith in Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for your sins and paid your sin debt to God. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, Every one of us has broken God's law We have all sinned against God, and by faith, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Why? Because He's paid the sin debt that we owe God. He's paid the sin debt for us, and we accept Him. I heard about a man one time that was in town. I mean, I knew him. He told me this story. He, was, he said, I went to a neighboring town uh, when I was a young man to get drunk. So I had an old Model A Ford. And he said, I drove that old Model A Ford over there. Parked it on the street and I went in the bar and I got drunk and I got in a fight. And he said, we tore that bar up. Crashed the, the uh, mirrors, tore the bar up. And he said, we really created havoc there. And he said, they called the police, and the police came in, and they said they got me because I was the instigator of it and threw me right straight in jail. He said, boy, I knew I was in trouble because he said I didn't have money enough to pay for the damage that we'd caused there that night, and it was all my fault. And he said, I just knew I was from another town, and I knew that that judge was really going to pop it to me that I was going to go to jail. So he said, I read the newspaper and I searched around and found out the name of the judge that was going to try my case. 
So he said, I, then I got the phone book, and I looked up in the phone book and found me a lawyer with the same last name that the judge had. And he said, I called that lawyer up, and he came over there and he said, sure enough, he was the judge's son. And that's what I wanted, the judge's son. And he said, the, the trial came up, and boy, it was hot and heavy for sure. But he said, it happened to be that that was the first case this judge's son was handling after he had got out of law school. And that judge didn't want his son to lose that case, I'll tell you for sure. And he said, that lawyer got up there and pled my case, and he said, you know that judge let me off? Because, not because I wasn't guilty, he said, I was guilty. He said, that judge let me off because of the pleas of his son. I thought that was a good illustration of salvation. Here I am, I'm a sinner, I've broken God's law, and a sinner is anybody that's not as good as God is. That's the definition we came up in Korea to, do, to tell what a sinner was, because in Korean, uh, sinner is a bad word to use. So we had to explain that word that we were using, what we were telling people. And we came up with the definition, a sinner is anybody that's not as good as God is. Hey, listen, there isn't any of us as good as God. I come to Jesus Christ, God's Son, in faith believing on Him, and I ask Him to be my Savior and Lord, and He's my lawyer before the court of God, and He pleads my case, and God cannot and will not turn down His Son. Let's bow our heads in prayer. You must be born again. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you can hear honestly say tonight, Brother Clayton, I know that I've been born again. Slip up your hand as a testimony. Would you do that? I know for sure I've been born again. Thank you very much. God bless you. How many would say here tonight, Preacher, I am not sure that I'm born again. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. If I die today, I don't know whether I go to heaven or hell. I'm not sure. But I'd like to be sure. So I'd like for you to pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hand, somebody like that? Pray for me. God bless you. How many others? Pray for me tonight. Yes. Okay. Someone else? There's someone else here, I'm sure. I'm not asking you to become a Baptist. If you, I got born again and then later on joined the Baptist church. But I got born again first. I wanted to make sure of that. And you can be sure tonight that you're born again, that heaven's your home, that God's your father, that Jesus is your savior. You can be sure of that tonight by faith in Jesus Christ. 